0: tip dot com The podcast about pop culture, black history and spirituality. Yeah, it's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip, gon' take it away. Till 'em tip you. Oh, hey, it's your girl, Tip. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell em Tip Told You, the podcast where I share with you all my musings about Black history, Black culture, and Black spirituality. Listen, y'all, I know I've been missing. I'm going to explain at the end of this episode. So if you want to know why the podcast has been on pause for a minute, make sure you, you listen all the way to the end. There are a couple of things I want to uh, just jump on um, this episode is based on a Howling Wolf song. Now, I like the blues. My, my granddaddy was uh, someone who liked the blues. He played the piano, the harmonica, things like that. And I just, and I'm Southern, so I like the blues. Howlin' Wolf has a, a song called Comfort Woman. And I really like that song if I'm singing it to black folk. <laughs> go, go Google Comfort Woman by Howling Wolf. And then I want you to listen to the lyrics. Now, I don't mind being a comfort woman to the right people. But the title of this week's episode is I Ain't Your Comfort. Okay. Um, Because what I want to talk about today is um, Ron DeSantis and how problematic he is in Florida. Um, And I want us to be on the watch out for our voters registration. We have to be constantly checking that. We're going to talk about that. I want to talk about the Queen's death. Oh hell, the queen. Not all hell. <laughs> but oh hell, this queen. And number three, I want to tell you why I've been missing. And I ain't your comfort. Okay, so let's just jump right in. So if you haven't been watching, Ron DeSantis is incredibly problematic. I think he he out he might out Trump Trump. He is incredibly problematic. And I'm so glad I'm not in Florida <laughs> anymore at this point. Um, so he, he did this, I think it was really about the news. Well, at first I thought it was really about the news, but what I'm thinking about now is that it's voter intimidation. Like there's nothing else. So Ron DeSantis decided to create this task force to go after people who illegally voted, despite the fact that the research demonstrates that less than 2% of people in the nation vote illegally right? And usually those are clerical errors and things like that. It's a huge waste of money for him to create this task force. I forgot how many millions of dollars they said they sp- he spent on this initiative. But suffice it to say, over 19 people were picked up in Florida as a result of this task force. And when I say picked up, I don't mean they show up at your house and knock on the door and all nicely uh, say that, you know, they're requesting your conversation. <laughs> no, he sent armed cops. Most of the list are black folk or brown folk. You know what happens when you send armed cops after us. It could have turned very ugly. This sound like some Gestapo type shit, but listen. So he sends armed folk, police, to pick up folk who voted in the 2020 election quote unquote illegally. All right. So one of the gentlemen was a black man who was 71 year old, Nathaniel Singleton. Now, Nathaniel is a former convicted felon. OK, he did his time. And according to the Department of Corrections, when he was released, his voting rights were reinstated. Now, remember, a few years ago, um, Florida voted that felons would have their um people convicted of felon felonies, I'm sorry, not felons, people convicted of felonies and who served their time would have their rights reinstated. And so Nathaniel Singleton in 2019 went to the supervisor of elections in Broward County. Broward is is a predominantly blue county in Florida. All right. It's where the black folk are in South Florida. Um, The supervisor of elections in Broward County issued a voter's card to Mr. Singleton. That was in 2019. He got his voter's card. He has been voting since then. So imagine Mr. Singleton's surprise when armed police with weapons drawn, he said the weapons were out. Come to his house and pick him up. For illegally voting as a result of Ron DeSantis' new task force. Okay. Of the 19 or so that were arrested by that task force, every single one of them had voter ID cards. Can can we talk about how you wasted taxpayer money? See, Republicans have this whole... um, They're fiscally conservative, fiscally more responsible. Can we talk about how much money you just wasted? Please, can we talk about how much money you wasted to send, uh, and it wasn't just one. (laughs) It wasn't just like a a cop and a partner. He sent multiple armed policemen to pick up a 71-year-old man for quote-unquote illegally voting. When you're supervisor of elections in Florida County, gave him a voter's card. See, because if, if you had just made a phone call, if your task force just made phone calls to these people and asked to verify registration, you wouldn't have had to waste taxpayer money. I mean, that would have still been a waste of money, but it's a lesser waste and a lot less dangerous than sending armed police to, to quote-unquote capture somebody for for participating, in elections. Listen, this story should be very scary to a lot of us. Right? At first, like I said earlier, at first, I thought this was all about um, you know, news clips. Being able to have video of armed police picking up black folk who quote-unquote illegally voted. I thought it. I thought he was trying to satisfy and placate his base. Right? But then I thought more about that and I was like, Them people don't really watch news like that, right? They regurgitate sound bites. They don't really do that. What he's really doing is signaling to us not to vote. It's voter intimidation. It's voter intimidation that says, see, look, you can have a, You can check your registration every day if you want to. I can still have you picked up and I can still do it in a very dangerous way. Let me tell y'all, Ron DeSantis is incredibly dangerous. Oh. Listen, okay? They have removed all question of legitimacy. They are an Ill- illegitimate party at this point who are depending on voter intimidation, radical gerrymandering to try to steal elections. And they're so good at the rhetoric. They're calling us the ones, these 19 folk who did what you told them to do. You're calling them the ones who are, quote unquote, stealing elections, participating in voter fraud. No, baby, Ron, baby, Ron, That's what you're doing. And so I want to say this to all the black folk, because it's a lot of us, a lot of black folk who will say, I don't vote. It doesn't matter. They, they're they're rigging the elections anyway. It doesn't matter. Let me say something. Black folks, since the beginning of time, ain't nothing if they're not practical. OK, we're pragmatic people. So I need if you to put on your practical, pragmatic hat right now and think with me. If voting did not matter. Why are and Ron Sanchez is not alone, baby. Why are all these people trying to keep you from being able to vote? just answer that question in your heart don't don't As a matter of fact you can email me at Dr Tip at and we can have an exchange but listen let me tell you something you don't do something that my mentor My Lee Mushujo taught me that a long time ago it was the most wise thing I think one of the most wise things he ever said to me. He said, if a people do something, it's because it's serving a purpose like you might do something. It doesn't work, then you don't do it anymore. But if it serves a purpose, you will continue to do it. And voter intimidation is embedded in the relationship between this country and black folk. And it would not exist except that it serves a purpose for some people. If voting did not matter, why would Ron DeSantis try to intimidate black votes? Why would he try to have these 19 people or so arrested? At gunpoint. If voting didn't matter. See, we um, I asked my students the other day. And it's a Lerone Bennett quote. I like the quote. It um, I reflect on it often to think about where we are as a people. Lerone Bennett opens one of his books with the with a uh, question, and the question is: Are we any better prepared to protect our children from slavery than our ancestors were? I ask my students that pretty much every semester, and I'm always flabbergasted that their answer is: Yeah, we ain't finna do. Baby, you don't have half of the gumption our ancestors had. We don't have half the strategy that our ancestors had. We If, if somebody come and they, they say that, right, because they're still very much thinking of it as a uh, hypothetical, like out there type questioning, And, and I, I don't think they put realness to it. So I, I always give the example. So I, I'm going to say it to you right now, right, you're Nathaniel Singleton. And armed police come to your house and snatch you up and and put you in slavery, in chains. Are you pr- better prepared to protect yourself than an ancestor three generations ago? I don't know that you are. Realistically, I don't know that you are. Uh, the kids always say, well, we're going to go down fighting. You can go down fighting. A bunch of us went down fighting. But does that protect your people from enslavement? See, I I want us to continually think about the ways that our citizenship and humanity are continually under attack in the United States. And when we reflect on that and we're knowledgeable of that, that every single thing we do has to be in resistance to that thing. What does resistance look like? It definitely should be as easy as going to a supervisor of elections office, registering to vote, standing in line and voting. It should be that easy. And and, and these the reason I brought up the example with my students is a lot of them say, you know, we're going to go down and fight. We're going to go down swinging. swing. We're not made like our ancestors. blah, blah, blah. I think that's incredibly disrespectful to evidence's uh, lack of knowledge about our history. But more importantly, it's unrealistic. Because I can't get you to stand in line to vote as resistance. And you, you expect me to think that you're going to go up against some armed people that come in? <laughs> come on. What are you willing to do for your freedom? All right, this ain't a vo- voting podcast. This episode is not about voting. It, it is more about resistance. And what does that resistance look like? It looks like critical thinking about what strategies are being used to marginalize my people, keep my people from full citizenship rights. And how can I act against that? And again, if there are attempts to keep us from voting, if for no other reason but your petty. Now, a black folk got plenty of petty. If for no other reason but your petty, I need for you to just buck the system and vote. Surprise them. Show them that they can play all these Games with the map and with the, the Gestapo coming to pick up folk with with voters' cards. So show them that, okay, I'm still going to stand in line and vote. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so I, the, I did. I probably spent more, more time on that than I had anticipated. But I just want you to watch what's happening in Florida. Uh, I've talked about it before, but there are legislative exchange councils. The one I know the most about is the American uh, Legislative Exchange Council or ALEC, where these politicians are sharing the same bucket of strategies and policies. All right. So if we see something like this implemented in Florida, it's only a matter of time before it starts implementing in other states. So, for example, Ron DeSantis has the the anti-wokeness bill right? Where you can't teach about race in the state of Florida. Um, It's something similar happening in something similar on the books in Georgia. It's been proposed in other states. So begin to watch. I know that some of us are like, I'm so glad I don't live in Texas. I'm so glad I don't live in uh, Florida. I'm so glad I'm not in Georgia. I'm so glad I'm in a blue state. We still have to watch. These are Uh, White supremacy is a global phenomenon. We're going to get to that towards the end of this podcast, but we have to be diligent and we have to remember. This is why I, I tell my students that we are not better prepared than our ancestors were because our ancestors understood a collective resistance in a way that we don't. Right. If my people are attacked in Florida, I am attacked If my people are attacked in um, South Africa, then I am attacked. If my people are attacked in Ethiopia, I am attacked. If my people in Detroit are attacked, I am attacked. If my people in Jackson don't have water, I ain't got no water. One of the most powerful weapons against our people has been um, acculturation. All right. I'm going to nerd out slightly, not all the way. So there are two primary ways that you learn your culture. Enculturation, which is inheriting the cultural traditions of your own group. Right. Black folks season food the way we do, because black folk are teaching us to season food, teaching us to cook. So on. we eating with other black people. So our palate is similar. So on and so forth. Right. That's enculturation, learning cultural traditions from inside the group. Black folk also experience acculturation is It's when our culture is shaped in part by our exposure to other folks, right? Asa Hilliard in the book African Power calls us to consciousness about how it is through socialization that we lose some of the things that have bound us together, right? In Chinua Achebe's classic things that fall apart, things fall apart, I'm sorry, things fall apart. (laughs) One of the characters says, the white man is very clever. He's put a knife to the things that have bound us together. The longer, and I'm saying this as someone who teaches about culture and teaches about ontology, epistemology, axiology, aesthetics, so on and so forth, but these ways of thinking about Um, existence, right? One of the things that troubles me is when I began learning these concepts in the 90s, as compared to how Black folk are living generally now, there's a huge shift away from the things that have bound us together. There is a reason that people like DeSantis and Kemp And some of these other red politicians are attacking the school system the way they do. They're trying to have more control over the acculturation of children. What does that do, Tiffany? That creates somebody who says, that's not my business. Yeah, Jackson is without water. Uh, I'm just going to stock up on some water here at the house. Give me a couple of rain barrels and put outside the house. Now there's nothing wrong with being prepared like that. I'm not saying don't be prepared and and make sure that you have sources of clean water. Order your life straws. Get your Berkey filter, whatever. But also, it is happening to you in Jackson. What are you doing for Jackson? Can can you at least post where the water stations are so that if if people can or post who's taking a, a trucks down to Jackson, Mississippi. If you go to an HBCU, uh, contact Jackson State and see what they need. Right? As an academic, I need to do that. I'm I'm self-convicting in this moment. As an academic, I need to do this. What is Jackson State doing to facilitate classes while this is happening? And what can I do as an academic to assist with that endeavor? Right? Uh, if they're going online, can I do some free workshops on a culturally relevant assessment, online assessment? Can I reach out to their equivalent to the Center of Faculty Excellence and say, hey, if you have some people need some help putting some things online, can I assist with that? You know, whatever we need to do, we need to be doing it within our own wheelhouses. I'm not asking you to invent a whole new skill. I'm asking you to use the skills and talents you have to serve your needs, your meaning, your people. Okay, I I don't know how I got off on that tangent. That wasn't on my playlist for the podcast today. But just y'all, let's be careful and see each other as part of a unit. That's why I'm afraid about that Lerone Bennett quote. Are we any better prepared to protect ourselves from slavery than our ancestors were? No, because we don't see ourselves as collective. Maroons, maroon settlements, like in the Great Dismal Swamp, uh, Palmeiras in Brazil, they would not have been possible if if not that black folk saw themselves as connected to other people. Resistance is not an individual uh, uh, strategy. That's not the word I want to use. It's not an individual I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Individualized. Act. Resistance is not an individualized act. Maybe that's that's the best way for it to come out. Resistance is not an individualized act, not for black folk. not historically, not traditionally, not culturally. And any shift to that is as a result of acculturation. Now, maybe because I haven't talked to y'all in a while, I'm about to go to something else that's not on my list, and that's about um, traditional African spirituality, right? I was I, I remember a few years ago, it, it, may, it may be closer to eight to 10 years ago now, where um, towards the end of the year, Olorisha will wear white um, to try to, to to bring more peace on earth, right? And I remember, uh, y'all know I'm not a priest, I um, am a devotee. I am an uh, Aborisha and I have been for, for many years. I have a problem with that. It's ahistorical and cultural. Let me tell you why. One of the fundamental purposes for traditional African religion is protection, protection ain't always peaceful. I don't know where that came from, but I wanted to say (laughs) this in reference to this, um, this acculturation I'm saying is happening to us in terms of seeing ourselves as part part of and responsible to a group. You cannot, for those of you who are interested, you cannot practice traditional African spirituality in isolation. And you definitely will not learn it in isolation. I'm going to leave that there. I don't know where that came from, but somebody wanted that said. Okay, let's move on to the next thing. I wanted to talk about Queen Elizabeth. Ding dong, the witch is dead. (laughs) Ding dong, the witch is dead. Listen, if you didn't laugh this week at Twitter, I don't know what rock you've been under, but people of color Twitter has been incredibly hilarious this week. And it reminds me again, let's go back to resistance, how much resistance there is in joy, and humor, and laughter, in community, right? Twitter ain't just you giggling by yourself in a corner. That's collective resistance. <laughs> okay, anyway, uh, I wanted to say this. A couple of other commentators, thought people, thought leaders have said this. I want to echo and add my voice to that narrative. And that is, black folk do not owe their oppressors comfort. I'm going to say that again. Write it down if you need to. You do not owe your oppressors comfort. What's that TikTok uh, sound? I don't, want no, I don't want peace. I want problems always. Always with my oppressor, I want problems. If, if ever I am on the same page with my oppressor, they have won. You do not owe them comfort. You do not owe them respect. Simply because white supremacy says so. All right? You do not. uh, People. uh, Can we talk about how there are some people way too comfortable with policing our bodies and our voices? Oh, you shouldn't say that. Who who are you talking to? I'm grown. And I don't have to weep. At my oppressor's death, I can rejoice. I I don't know. She was the longest living British monarch, right? Longest in rule. I don't I don't know if we're longest living, but longest in rule. You know what that means to me, because you saw how old sister girl was. You know what that means. She seventy years. She sat on the throne seventy something years. Okay. Think about when African. Nations, one independence. 54 in Ghana, right? That means this heifer is not the descendant of people who colonized. She is a colonizer. We ain't talking about the descendants of colonizers. People with colonizer tendencies. We talking about a real life colonizer. And y'all want me to be sad because she dead? Do you know how many people died under her watch? physically died, metaphorically died. How many cultural traditions were threatened? And I'm supposed to be, I don't owe you my comfort. I want problems. So I just wanted to add my voice to that. And I want to go to the next thing, right? So why have I been missing? I haven't been able to do my Friday Lives with you. The time of the Friday Live is going to have to change anyway because now I'm in this Monday through Friday job that I didn't have before. So we're going to have to figure out another day. Maybe it's Sunday evenings. Uh, maybe I start doing the podcast live. You, you all write me in and help me figure that out at Doctor Tip at tell them tip told you.com. Write me and let me know. And if you're on my email list, I'm going to go in and send out a poll. To, you'll get it in the morning. I'll do that. More well you'll get it the same day this podcast comes out so look in your email box from my to see an email from dr tip and i'm gonna ask you what time um and day works best for our instagram lives because i miss doing those all right and if you're on my patreon account uh i'll put that in the email too to figure out because i want to start using that better so I transitioned to a new job. A lot of y'all know that it moved me from strictly faculty, which faculty, one of the best parts of being a faculty member is you kind of shape your schedule. So Fridays were my research and writing days. So I always took time during that day to jump on the podcast, jump on a live, talk about black culture, black history, black spirituality, right? I don't have that luxury anymore because now I'm a 12-month Monday through Friday person. I don't have the Fridays off like that anymore. Um, they were never off, but I could adjust. I could take my lunch in the morning because there ain't no big deal when you work it at home. Um, so we got to figure that out. So y'all let me help me figure that out. Again, I'm going to send out the emails. So check your email box um, for an email that says, how can I help? I don't want it to say, how can I help? I'll think of another subject line. Just look for an email from me, okay? But I I miss talking to you all. And I don't feel the same speaking without speaking to you all. Um, We push each other to grow through exchange, and I miss that. And we have created a beautiful community. So if you're not following me on Instagram... You're going to have to get on these Instagram lives because it's a fun time. It's a good space where we push each other and we grow. And people make good connections, right? All right. So that's that. I had to, because now the position is Monday through Friday with a traditional schedule, I am no longer able to take that three-hour round trip commute daily. I just couldn't do it. My body couldn't take it because I ain't as young as I used to be. (laughs) My body couldn't take it. So I had I had to relocate closer to university. I want to say something, and maybe that's next week's podcast. I want to talk about housing and privilege and what happens in small towns that are limit, limited in their progressiveness. I got to figure out a way to say that. We'll talk about that next week. But suffice it to say, the the housing pickings in this city are severely limited. So much so that you're going to pay a premium compared to what you would pay in a bigger city with more resources and amenities. All right. It has been a hard road for me to find a place where I would feel safe. And if you've ever been to my house, one of the things people say to me Now, I can't speak about my parents' house because very few of you have visited me there. But when I have my own space, one of the things people often say is how peaceful my space feels. I do a lot of spiritual work to make it that way (laughs) right? because I need it. I need it to be an oasis. And if you ever want to take a class about how to make your house feel more peaceful, I'm here for you. Um, But I have started to try to implement those things in this apartment. Let me just rewind and say, I am in a dump, y'all. There's another lesson in here that probably be the two weeks out podcast about aesthetically it offers one thing, right? When you first walk into the unit before I brought my stuff in. But when you first walked into the unit, it, it nice slate gray walls, molding, um nice floors, new carpet black hardware you know how that's the new thing right the black hardware for the doorknobs and stuff like that they're not round they the nice little ada compliant levers and things like that it's just stainless steel appliances it's cute but the longer i stayed in here the day that my brother-in-law and his brother moved me in we started seeing little things like "What is if that's a water stain is that a water stain is that a they ain't put no caulk around the molding in the bedroom Wait a minute. Is that a hole in the window? Like stuff like that started happening the day I moved in. So you know how you do the walk in list. I put I made the list. I took it right over to the office. Uh, two hours later, I had 10 more things to put on the list. So I sent a long email the next morning. I've had to send like three or four more emails of things that have gone wrong because there is a problem. Sometimes we pay so much attention to the aesthetic that the function gets lost. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a few podcast episodes For now. But listen to what I'm saying. I, I was, when I came into the space, because of the aesthetics, I was distracted from the function. And I was thinking, oh, I'm put this bookshelf here. Oh, my long mask can go on this wall. Oh, my pictures from Egypt, they can go here. Oh, my Nina Simone print, she going there. Oh, I'm putting... And didn't realize until it got still and quiet that night that there was a drain fly infestation. Didn't realize until the next morning, it's stinking here. That's mold. I'm smelling mold. Or when you get ready to run the dishwasher, nothing happens because it ain't hooked up. Ice maker ain't hooked up. They come to hook it up the next day. I open the refrigerator, my eggs floating because it... Y'all, it, when I tell you it has been mess after mess after mess. If you if you follow me on Instagram, you saw the pictures. It has been a complete mess. Let me tell you, except for the most recent issues, I didn't want to complain too much. I'm telling you, and y'all know me, y'all know I am a... Buck the system, speak the truth kind of person. But I want to be completely transparent in this morning that even those of us who are more comfortable being vocal have been acculturated to be silent in our own oppression. And I've been sitting with this, y'all, trying to figure it out by myself. I can't write no more emails. I can't call them no more. I can't show up at the rental office any more than I have. And after um, being resisted to this kind of filth and treatment. There was something happening in me that got so tired that all I wanted to, to do with, was withdraw. And not fight it. Because I can't. Right now, I'm telling you, again, full transparency. I don't have an alternative right now other than putting all this stuff that I paid over two thousand dollars to relocate to this city, all I can see is paying another two thousand to put it in storage somewhere, and going back home and starting this commute all over. That's like, and I, physically, y'all, <laughs> I can do that temporarily, but physically, I I can't do that. I'm not built for that anymore. I either need to win the lottery or y'all need to come. Everybody need to be a client in group coaching so I can leave. <laughs> I We. I got to figure some things out, okay? Um, But there has been a pull towards silence. And I have to keep reminding myself, I'm not built for their comfort. I know I'm not alone. Somebody else out there is eating the discomfort because you think you owe them respectful exchange. You think you owe them silence. You think you owe them compliance. You don't owe anyone your discomfort and your pain. You don't owe anyone dissatisfaction. Listen, I am preaching to myself too. I want to be, again, completely transparent. If I am a life coach, I have to show you what it looks like to hit a wall. I have hit a wall. Now, let me show you the resources and tools I'm using to pull myself out. And number one is the mindset and the rememory, because you already know. So it's just activating your rememory, Y'all, you do not owe them your comfort. We have been socialized. Those of us in the diaspora who are children of the formerly enslaved. Children of the enslaved. We have been socialized to give these folk our comfort. You no longer owe them that. Don't so, what that. Oh, my goodness. Zorna Hurston said, if you are silent about your pain, they'll kill you and say you enjoyed it. They have warm. Y'all, they almost wore me completely down here to the point where I was like, let me just mop every day this leak. I I was spraying the baseboards with, with, uh, you know, anti-mold, mildew type cleaner. No, from now on, they gonna get all my discomfort. I want problems always. I don't care if I gotta call them every hour on the hour. I gotta ring doorbell. From now on, when the handyman come in, I'm gonna say, hello? (laughs) What are you doing today? I need for you to look at such and such before you leave. I don't owe them my comfort. And I just want to say that to you, too. You don't owe anyone your comfort. We do not owe anyone honor in death who oppressed us in life. We don't owe them that. We owe ourselves community. We owe ourselves love and peace and joy. All right? Tell them to tell Y'all have a good day.